Hello and welcome back to The Dreamy Mind. This is the podcast that helps you fall asleep by guiding you through meditations, sleep stories, and playing beautiful nature sounds. Tonight we're going to continue with the bedtime story, Anne of Green Gables, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. We'll be continuing from chapter 2, where we left off. Before we begin, let's take a few deep breaths together to center ourselves and to relax. Inhale, lift your shoulders up towards your ears as if you're shrugging, and then exhale and let your shoulders slide down your back. Make your exhale long. Let's do it again. Inhale your shoulders up towards your ears and exhale. Feel your shoulder blades sliding down your back away from your ears as low as they can go. One more. Inhale, shrug your shoulders up and exhale. Push your shoulders down away from your ears. Leave them there. Relax your neck. Move your head from side to side, giving your neck a gentle massage. Relax your jaw. Let it hang loose. Relax every muscle in your face, especially your forehead and your eyebrows. Let them fall down to either side of your face. Let's continue from where we left off. Matthew Cuthbert and Anne are driving towards the Green Gables property. And Matthew Cuthbert just said, Oh, you can talk as much as you like. I don't mind. Oh, I'm so glad. I know you and I are going to get along together just fine such a relief to talk when one wants to and not be told that children should be seen and not heard. I've had that said to me a million times if I have once. And people laugh at me because I use big words. But if you have big ideas, you have to use big words to express them, haven't you? Well now, that seems reasonable, said Matthew. Mrs. Spencer said that my tongue must be hung in the middle, but it isn't. It's firmly fastened to one end. Mrs. Spencer said your place was called Green Gables. I asked her all about it, and she said that there were trees all around it. I was gladder than ever. I just loved trees. And there weren't any at all about the asylum. Only a few poor teeny-weeny things out in front with little whitewashed cagey things about them. They just looked like orphans themselves, those old trees. It used to make me want to cry to look at them. I used to say to them, oh, you poor little things. If you are out in a great big woods with other trees all around you and little mosses and june bells growing over your roots, 
and a brook not far away and birds singing in your branches, you could grow, couldn't you? But you can't where you are. But you can't where you are. I know just exactly how you feel, little trees. I felt so sorry to leave them behind this morning. You do get so attached to things like that, don't you? Is there a brook anywhere near Green Gables? I forgot to ask Mrs. Spencer that. Well now, yes, there's one right below the house. Fancy, it's always been one of my dreams to live near a brook. I never expected I would though. Dreams don't often come true, do they? Wouldn't it be nice if they did? But just now, I feel pretty nearly perfectly happy. I can't feel exactly perfectly happy because, well, what color would you call this? She twisted one of her long glossy braids over her thin shoulder and held it up before Matthew's eyes. Matthew was not used to deciding on the tints of ladies' tresses, but in this case, there couldn't be much doubt. It's red, ain't it? He said. The girl let the braid drop back with a sigh that seemed to come from her very toes and to exhale forth all the sorrows of the ages. Yes, it's red, she said resignedly. Now you see why I can't be perfectly happy. Nobody could who has red hair. I don't mind the other things so much. The freckles and the green eyes and the skinniness. I can imagine them away. I can imagine that I have a beautiful rose leaf complexion and lovely starry violet eyes, but I cannot imagine that red hair away. I do my best. I think to myself now, my hair is glorious black, black as the raven's wing. But all the time I know, I know it is just plain red and it breaks my heart. It will be my lifelong sorrow. I read of a girl once in a novel who had a lifelong sorrow, but it wasn't red hair. Her hair was pure gold rippling back from her alabaster brow. What is an alabaster brow? I could never find out. Can you tell me? Well, now, uh, I'm afraid I can't, said Matthew, who was getting a little dizzy. He felt as he had once felt in his rash youth when another boy had enticed him to go on the merry-go-round at a picnic. Well, whatever it was must have been something nice because she was divinely beautiful. Have you ever imagined what it must be like to be divinely beautiful? Well, now, no, I haven't, confessed Matthew ingeniously. I have often. Which would you rather be if you had to choose? Divinely beautiful, dazzlingly clever, or angelically good? Well now, I… I don't know exactly. Neither do I. I can never decide. But it doesn't make much real difference, for it isn't likely that I'll ever be either. It's certain I'll never be angelically good. Mrs. Spencer says, Oh, Mr. Cuthbert, Mr. Cuthbert, Mr. Cuthbert. 
That was not what Mrs. Spencer had said. Neither had the child tumbled out of the buggy, nor had Matthew done anything astonishing. They had simply rounded a curve in the road and found themselves in the avenue. The avenue, so-called by the New Bridge people, was a stretch of road four or five hundred yards long, completely arched over with huge, wide-spreading apple trees, planted years ago by an eccentric old farmer. Overhead was one long canopy of snowy, fragrant bloom. Below the boughs, the air was full of a purple twilight, and far ahead a glimpse of painted sunset sky shone like a great rose window at the end of a cathedral aisle. Its beauty seemed to strike the child dumb. She leaned back in the buggy, her thin hands clasped before her, her face lifted rapturously to the white splendor above. Even when they had passed out and were driving down the long slope to Newbridge, she never moved or spoke. Still, with the rapt face, she gazed afar into the sunset west, with eyes that saw visions trooping splendidly across that glowing background. Through Newbridge, a bustling little village where dogs barked at them and small boys hooted and curious faces peered from their windows, they drove, still in silence. When three more miles had dropped away behind them, the child had not spoken. She could keep her silence, it was evident, as energetically as she could talk. I guess you're feeling pretty tired and hungry, Matthew ventured to say at last, accounting for her long visitation of dumbness and the only reason he could think of. But we haven't very far to go now, only another mile. She came out of her reverie with a deep sigh and looked at him with the dreamy gaze of a soul that had been wandering afar, star-led. Oh, Mr. Cuthbert, she whispered. That place we came through, that white place, what was it? Well, now you must mean the avenue, said Matthew after a few moments of profound reflection. It is kind of a pretty place. Pretty? Oh, pretty doesn't seem to be the right word to use. Nor beautiful either. They don't go far enough. Oh, it was wonderful. Wonderful. It's the first thing I ever saw that couldn't be improved upon by my imagination. It just satisfies me here. She put one hand on her breast. It made a queer, funny ache, and yet it was a pleasant ache. Did you ever have an ache like that before, Mr. Cuthbert? Well, now, I just can't recollect that I ever have. I have it lots of times. Whenever I see anything royally beautiful. But they shouldn't call that lovely place the Avenue. There is no meaning in a name like that. They should call it, let me see, the White Way of Delight. Isn't that a nice imaginative name? Well, I don't like the name of a place or a person. I always imagine a new one and always think of them so. There was a girl at the asylum whose name was Hepzibah Jenkins, but I always imagined her as Rosalina Devere. 
Other people may call that place the avenue, but I shall always call it the white way of delight. Have we really only another mile to go before we get home? I'm glad, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry because this drive has been so pleasant, and I'm always sorry when pleasant things end. Something still pleasanter may come after, but you can never be sure. And it's so often the case that it isn't pleasanter. That has been my experience anyhow. But I'm glad to think of getting home. You see, I've never had a real home since I can remember. It gives me that pleasant ache again, and just to think of coming really truly home. Oh, isn't that pretty? They had driven over the crest of a hill. Below them was a pond looking almost like a river so long and winding as it was. The bridge spanned it midway from there to its lower end where an amber-hued belt of sand hills shut it in front from the dark blue gulf beyond and water was a glory of many shifting hues, the most spiritual shadings of crocus and rose and ethereal green, with other elusive tintings for which no name had ever been found. Above the bridge, the pond ran into fringing groves of fir and maple and lay all darkly translucent in their wavering shadows. Here and there, a wild plum leaned out from the bank like a white-clad girl tiptoeing to her own reflection. From the marsh at the head of the pond came the clear, mournfully sweet chorus of the frogs. There was a little grey house peering around, a white apple orchard on the slope beyond, and, although it was not quite yet dark, a light was shining from one of its windows. That's Barry's Pond, said Matthew. Oh, I don't like that name either. I shall call it, let's see, the Lake of Shining Waters. Yes, that is the right name for it. I know because of the thrill. When I hit on a name that suits exactly, it gives me a thrill. Do things ever give you a thrill? Matthew ruminated. Well now, yes. It always kind of gives me a thrill to see them ugly white grubs that spread up into the cucumber beds. I hate the look of them. Oh, I don't think that can be exactly the same kind of thrill. Do you think it can? There doesn't seem to be much connection between grubs and lakes of shining water, does there? But why do people call it Barry's Pond? I reckon because Mr. Barry lives up there in that house. Orchard Slope's the name of his place. If it wasn't for that big bush behind it, you could see Green Gables from here. But we have to go over the bridge and round by the road, so it's nearly a half mile further. Has Mr. Barry any little girls? Well, not so very little either, about my size. He's got one, about eleven. Her name is Diana. Oh, with a long indrawing breath. What a perfectly lovely name. Well now, I don't know. There's something dreadfully heathenish about it, seems to me. I'd rather Jane or Mary or some sensible name like that. But when Diana was born, there was a schoolmaster boarding there and they gave him the naming of her and he called her Diana. 
I wish there had been a schoolmaster like that around when I was born, then... Oh, here we are at the bridge. I'm going to shut my eyes tight. I'm always afraid to go over bridges. I can't help imagining that perhaps just as we get into the middle, they'll crumble like a jackknife and nip us. So I shut my eyes. But I always have to open them for all when I think of getting near the middle. Because you see, if the bridge did crumble, I'd want to see it crumble. What a joy rumble it makes. I always like the rumble part of it. Isn't it splendid that there are so many things to like in this world? There, we're over. Now I'll look back. Good night, dear lake of shining waters. I always say good night to the things I love, just as I would to people. I think they like it. That water looks as if it was smiling at me. When they had driven up the further hill and around the corner, Matthew said, We're pretty near home now. That's Green Gables over. Oh, don't tell me, she interrupted breathlessly, catching at his partially raised arm and shutting her eyes that she might not see his gesture. Let me guess. I'm sure I'll guess right. She opened her eyes and looked about her. There on the crest of the hill, the sun had set some time since, but the landscape was still clear in the mellow afterlight. To the west, a dark church spire rose up against the marigold sky. Below was a little valley, and beyond a long, gently rising slope with snug farmsteads scattered along it. From one to another, the child's eyes darted, eager and wistful. At last, they lingered on one, away to the left, far back from the road, dimly white with blossoming trees in the twilight of the surrounding woods. Over it, in the stainless southwest sky, a great crystal white star was shining like a lamp of guidance and promise. That's it, isn't it? She said, pointing. Matthew slapped the reins on the sorrel's back delightedly. Well now, you've guessed it, but I reckon Mrs. Spencer described it so's you could tell. No, she didn't. She really didn't. All she said might just as well have been about most of the other places. I hadn't any idea what it looked like, but just as soon as I saw it, I felt it was home. Oh, it seems as if I must be in a dream. Do you know my arm must be black and blue from the elbow up, from where I've pinched myself so many times today? Every little while, a horrible, sickening feeling would come over me and I'd be so afraid it was all a dream. Then I'd pinch myself to see if it was real, until suddenly I remembered that even supposing it was only a dream, I'd better go on dreaming as long as I could, so I stopped pinching. But it is real, and we're nearly home. With a sigh of rapture, she released into silence. Matthew stirred uneasily. He felt glad that it would be Marilla and not he who would have to tell this waif of the world that the home she longed for was not to be hers after all. They drove over Lynn's Hollow, where it was already quite dark, but not so dark that Mrs. Rachel could not see them from her window vantage, and up the hill into the long lane of Green Gables. 
By the time they arrived at the house, Matthew was shrinking from the approaching revelation with an energy he did not understand. It was not of Marilla or himself he was thinking of the trouble this mistake was probably going to make for them, but of the child's disappointment. When he thought of that rapt light being quenched in her eyes, he had an uncomfortable feeling that he was going to assist at murdering something. Much the same feeling that came over him when he had to kill a lamb or calf or any other innocent little creature. The yard was quite dark as they turned into it and the poplar leaves were rustling silkily all around it. Listen to the trees talking in their sleep, she whispered as he lifted her to the ground. What nice dreams they must have. Then, holding tightly to the carpet bag which contained all her worldly goods, she followed him into the house. And that is the end of chapter two. Have a great night.